His one goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. You guys doing well? It's been a while, hasn't it? Has it been a while since we've met like this? Where were you guys over the holidays? I was here. Hey, this is our certainty in a world of doubt. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 20. Listening to God is the title of this weekend's message. An ongoing issue in my marriage, an ongoing issue in my marriage is that something will come up that I will ask my wife Nancy about and she will respond by saying, I told you about this, weren't you listening? And she usually says it in a very hateful way. How many know that, know that, uh, how many guys, say this, how many guys can relate to that? Actually, there's not a hateful bone in my bride's body, so she doesn't typically ever say that in a hateful way. But, uh, but weren't you listening? I told you about this. And so the best answer, though most difficult for me to give is, yes, I heard you, but no, I wasn't listening. <laughs> that, that would be the smart uh, answer. Uh, that's not always the answer I give. And no, I wasn't listening. I didn't let it sink in or think about the implications or put it on my calendar. And of course, she probably told me this about a month before the event and expected me to remember it. And she probably told me while I was doing something really, really important like watching a football game or something like that, okay? <laughs> any of you guys relate to any of this, huh? Be careful about raising your hand here. There's only a few of you that were brave enough to admit that. And so take a look at your sermon notes here. Hearing and listening, hearing and listening are not the same thing. Does that make sense? Hearing and listening are not the same thing. You can hear someone without actually listening to them. Many of you do that every week here at Desert Breeze Community Church. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. I can't believe this guy's so feisty coming into the new year, huh? Here we go. So you can hear someone without actually listening to them. While hearing but not listening is bad for marriage, it is absolutely destructive in our relationship with God. The best thing I can teach you here as we head into a brand new year, 2017, is to teach you the skill of listening to God. If you want a more rich and robust relationship with God, you need to learn to listen to God. It tells us in uh, Matthew 4.4, 4, you're probably familiar with it, Jesus said these words, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We are desperate to hear from God, whether you realize it or not. You need to hear from him. You need to interact with him. You need to experience him deep in your heart. And uh, you can take care of your physical body, and that's important. You can make sure you eat right and exercise and get the appropriate amount of rest. But more importantly is what he's saying. You need to interact with the creator of the universe, the, the, the God of the galaxies, the, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. 
And we have privilege to do that. And so that's what we need, and that's what we need to learn, and that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Listening to God is a critical part to our personal relationship with God. And so before we take a look at this text, we'll read through the text, and then we'll unpack these notes. Before we do that, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Once again, let's go before the throne of grace. God, we love you. We We love spending time with you. We love growing in our relationship with you. We love worshiping you in song. And now we love worshiping you in the study of your word. And so God, Father God, we know that you are a relational God who listens and speaks and invites us to draw near. It is astounding that you created us for intimate friendship with you, both now and forever. We often feel confused and deficient when it comes to listening to you. So we pray through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit. Teach us how how you speak and what you are speaking to us and how we can become better listeners so that you are most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in you. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. So we're really picking up this text where we left off um, on Christmas Eve, and we finished up in verse 14, so we'll actually begin reading in verse 13. We'll read to to uh, verse 20. And so it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let let us go over to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And so you can see in the uh, outline there with your notes, God, how God speaks. So we'll look at the, the messenger And then what is God speaking, the message, and then how we must listen, the listener. That's where we're headed. So here's your first couple fill in the blanks on your notes. The shepherds, the shepherds got angels. Did you notice that? A multitude of heavenly hosts, verses 13 through 14, but everyone else got a shepherd. Oh, boy. A shepherd. They got a shepherd, verses 17 through 18. And, and that's pretty significant. I mean, what we're learning here, and we're, we're talking about how God speaks and the messenger, we tend to look for God in the extraordinary, and yet the Bible tells us that he's in the ordinary. And so we can see this. So the shepherds got angels, but everyone else got a shepherd. And, and, and it's important to kind of know a little bit of the history, the culture that shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. 
And in fact, they were uneducated and without integrity. Their testimonies were not admissible evidence in the court of law. And, and it, was prob- it was more than likely because they were so disdained. They lacked integrity, uh, lowest on the very bottom of the social ladder. And so you can only imagine how people responded to their message of good news that gave them great joy. Now, we see this pattern not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple examples. Here's an example in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12. And what I mean, the example of the fact that God doesn't always, uh, when God speaks to us, he speaks in the extraordinary to a few, but to the rest, he speaks in the ordinary. And so we need to expect to hear him in the ordinary of our life. And so in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12, Elijah is running for his life from Queen Jezebel and is greatly depressed and desperate to hear from God. But God doesn't speak through a tornado, doesn't speak through an earthquake, doesn't speak through a fire, the extraordinary. But how does God speak? God speaks to him. King James Version actually puts it like this. God speaks to him in a still Small voice, a still, small voice. I think there's something we can learn from that. We've got to get still, become small. Let's humble ourselves so that we can hear his voice. Acts 1, 3 through 8, we see the disciples. After Jesus resurrected from the grave, they uh, were with Jesus. Uh, The disciples were with Jesus for how many days after his resurrection? Anybody know? 40 days. And so what's fascinating about this story, so the disciples got Jesus, and we get the motley crew of disciples. That's how God speaks to us, and through their writings. And so I think it's an important lesson for us to understand. So the shepherds got angels, but everyone else got a shepherd. This is how God speaks, the messenger. Here's the next point on your notes. Beware of missing the message because of the flaws in the messenger. And there will always, here's your next fill in the blank, there will always be flaws in the messenger. Always be flaws in the messenger. I've heard people say this, why should I believe someone like that? Are you aware of your prejudices? And and are you aware of the fact that your prejudices can keep you from hearing what you desperately need to hear? And that is the voice of God, God speaking to you. Just because the messenger is flawed, it doesn't mean the message is flawed. This is what I found in my own life, is that God often offends the mind to reveal the heart. How desperate are you to hear from God? How much do you want to hear from God? I, uh, I often struggle with my effectiveness in communication here on weekend services. And my beautiful bride, Nancy, she will remind me if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, <laughs> Numbers 22, he can speak through you. She's so hateful. <laughs> I told you. And of course, I'd say to her, I hear you, but I'm not listening. <laughs> and uh, God speaks to me pretty consistently 
through my wife. And I hate that. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think she can hear God more clearly than I can. And, uh, but it's, I, 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 I say that jokingly, obviously. You guys know that. You know my heart and you know my, my beautiful bride. But God has spoken to me through the most unlikely people. See, and if you're, if you're desperate to hear from him, if you long to hear from him, I've, I've had God speak to me through unbelievers. Now, I don't think the unbelievers knew that. <laughs> they didn't come to me and say, I think God wants you to know. They didn't say that, okay? That would be kind of weird because they probably don't even believe in God. I, people that don't even believe in God, and yet I've heard God so vividly through what they were saying to me. God would speak to me. I've, I've heard uh, God speak through my kids, my grandkids, I've heard God speak to me through uh, some of the craziest circumstances. And, um, and so it's, it's important, if you want to hear God, beware of missing the message because of the flaws in the messenger. There will always be flaws in the messenger. Uh, and now, th- this is not an excuse for lowering leadership standards of the church, okay? I, I just needed to say that. Because there's, there's certainly flaws in me, there's flaws in this church, and uh, I have a, uh, there's a whole lot of people that, that criticize me in this church consistently and regularly, and I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's just, that's part of leadership, by the way. Especially the culture that we live in. We live in kind of a Monday morning armchair quarterback kind of culture, talk show host, everybody wants to be a talk show host, everybody wants to criticize, hey, if I can learn from that, I want to learn from that. I want to hear God. I don't want to miss God. And so I'm, I'm open for criticism. I really am. But here's, here's what I would warn you uh, with. And by the way, if, if indeed something that I'm doing doesn't fit the leadership standards, oh boy, that needs to not only be brought to my attention, but brought to the elders' attention. That's, that's important. We have a really good, strong eldership here at Desert Breeze. We believe that the church is to be led by Jesus Christ through a plurality of leaders known as elders and deacons. And that's what we've established here. You got leadership standards found in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, and uh, those are really important. But even in that, with leaders fitting uh, uh, those qualifications, there's still going to be flaws. And, and what you need to do when you criticize, you got to know not only is this a leadership standard or is it outside a leadership standard, and then also you have to ask the question, is, is this part of the essentials of the Christian faith or is it part of the non-essentials? Is this something that we can, we can debate but we shouldn't divide over? But then there's other things that would fit within the criteria of, that they're really important. They're called the essentials of the Christian faith and you need to know, know the difference. But this is what I would warn you, beware of two extremes. Beware of two extremes. One would become, is where you become a hardened cynic, where you just criticize the heck out of everything and anything and everybody. You're gonna miss God. You're gonna hear God? And, and, and that's really what our culture has become. We're, we're so cynical and so hardened. We wanna criticize everybody. You're gonna miss God, you're not gonna hear him. But here's the other extreme, is that don't be a naively seduced crowd follower. You need to be discerning. And, and in fact, so, so I would tell you to be like the Bereans, as, as as it's told, us, uh, told to us there in Acts uh, 17, 11, that they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they studied the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was truly the word of God. So here's, here's what I would say. 
Do you need to be somewhat critical? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm thankful that you are. I'm thankful that many of you are very thinking persons, and I'm challenging you to do that, and I challenge you to think. But, but be, beware of becoming a calloused, hard-hearted cynic, but don't just check your brains at the door. Don't have an open mind and let your brains fall out, okay? Don't go that extreme. But what should be happening in your life more than anything, and this is what you should be looking for, is that how's your heart for God? What is he saying to you? As we head into 2017, is your passion for God growing? Do you have a love for him that goes beyond anything you've experienced in the past? See, that would would be the really good sign that you are growing and you're maturing and you're experiencing more of his grace. Listen to me. You walk with Jesus as long as I've been walking with Jesus? Man, oh my goodness. You gotta be going through the roof. You gotta be experiencing his love. I love him. The experience that I have with him, oh my goodness, incomparable to what I had in the early days as, as I walked with him. And not only that, my, my compassion for others, so my passion for him and my compassion for others is growing and so should yours. My job is to help you to grow that and that tells me, man, you're hearing God. You're listening to him. You're interacting with him. You know him. So, So be aware of that. So here's the next point on our notes. We're talking about how God speaks. Here's the next one. God speaks to us not mainly through good times, but bad times. Now, I love it when God speaks to me when I'm on the beach in San Diego sipping my favorite iced coffee, reading a great book. How many enjoy those times with God? Those are great times. But I gotta be honest, he speaks to me more often When I'm going through hard times and difficult times, he's got my attention more so than ever before. And so God speaks to us not mainly through good times, but bad times. God speaks to us not mainly through angels, the extraordinary, but the ordinary, shepherds. Acts 26, 14, you guys familiar with the story of the apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was a persecutor of Christians, became a proclaimer of Christ, and just amazing life transformation. But God puts the heat on. I mean, he, he lowers the boom on Paul, and there's a place where Paul talks about that, and the Lord speaks to him, the resurrected Christ. He has an encounter with him, and Paul uh, it, talks about this in Acts 26, 14, and this is what Jesus said to him. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's an interesting statement. Goads were pointed sticks used to jab the sheep to keep them from going in dangerous ways. What Jesus was saying to Paul is, dude, you're kicking against the sharp sticks that I'm bringing into your life to bring you to me. We tend to do that. We tend to push against what God is doing. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We want an angel, and God sends us problems. Oh boy, here, you want to hear me? I've got a problem for you. I've got trouble for you. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's what we need to understand. Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, this is what the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. 
You're going to love 71, Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. So, so when was the last time you said, oh boy, I sure like being afflicted. Now, if you said that, I would think you're a little bit weird and maybe a little bit um, masochistic or uh, whatever. You know, you, what's, I would have to say that. But, but he's actually rejoicing in the fact that he has experienced pain in his life because he's beginning to realize something about the pain. The pain has made him more sensitive to the voice of God. And now that I'm hearing God more clearly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's what he's really saying. That, that no pain is too difficult if it gives me a greater experience of his presence, power, and peace in my life. It's, no, it's, it's not too difficult to endure if I have what he gives to me through that pain. That's what he's saying. Here's the next point on your notes. God speaks primarily through the Bible. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired of God, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the person of God is fully equipped for every, every good work. I mean, this fits the pattern. Reading and studying God's word is difficult. Isn't it? Would you guys say that reading and studying God's word, you guys, how many find it really difficult? How many find, okay, show of hands, show of hands, how many find it difficult? You guys are hesitant to raise your hands, so you haven't obviously read it lately, have you? <laughs> I mean, I find it, I do this every week. It's hard. It's hard work. I love it, but it's hard work. It's hard work. And, uh, but it's worth it. Oh my goodness, when he, when he begins to speak to me, I love it. Reading and studying God's word is difficult. We want dreams, visions, and impressions, but God gives us his word. We want to hear an audible voice like my GPS on my phone when to make the next turn. That's what we want. And he goes, nope, you need to get your nose in my word. You need to study. You need to work this stuff out and work it into your life. And... uh, Too often we look for God in the extraordinary when God has promised to be present in the ordinary. Acts 17, 28. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Acts 17, 28. James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. God speaks through, certainly through dreams and visions and impressions. He speaks through people and circumstances and even our conscience, but primarily through the Bible, our ultimate authority. And so, so when he speaks to you through dreams and visions and impressions and people, circumstances, and your conscience, you need to always filter it through God's word. It's our ultimate authority. Just to make sure you're on track, that you're not kind of crazy. You're coming up with this stuff on your own. You need to go back to his word and filter it through his word. Now, let me suggest something now as we, we're heading into 2017. This is what I would encourage you to do, is that when you have your personal time with the Lord, when you study God's word, and you're praying, when you get together in a small group, when you come here on a weekend service, have a notepad handy, and begin to ask yourself this question, God, what do you want to speak to me? And then begin to write it down. Write it down. Go back to it throughout the day and and, and verify it through God's word. Believe me, he will speak to you. Believe me, he is speaking to you. Are you listening? And when you begin to hear his voice and you know, 
and you know you're having an encounter with the God of the galaxies who knows, he cares, he rules, it's gonna make a difference in your life. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what you were made for, to know him, to interact with him, to experience him. See, this is the best thing I could teach you for 2017, for you to know him, to experience him. And there's nothing like it. I was, as I was studying this last week, and you, you write it down. So I'll write it down. I'll come back to it. I'll think about it. I'll reflect on it. God, is this you? Yep. And I, I become more... Uh, in tune to what he's saying, what he wants to do in my life, what he's doing in my life. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 starts off by the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. What it's saying is that look around. It's all in creation. He's speaking to us. But then as you work down that, that chapter, it's a wonderful chapter. It's part of my personal devotions this last week. It says this. Let me summarize it for you. It says that God's word revives the soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, more desirable than gold. More desirable than gold? Yeah, all the money in the world cannot compare. If you had all the money in the world does not compare to God's word and hearing him and interacting with him. That's what it's saying. Sweeter than honey? What's your favorite dessert? Nothing quite like the sweetness of God's word and him speaking to you. So there are times in my life, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, that when I pick up his word and I begin to study and I begin to pour my heart into, into the study of God's word and pour my heart out to God, he speaks to me and it begins to revive my soul. There's a reviving of my soul. There's, there's a making of this simple guy wise. Makes wise the simple and you need that like I do. We all need that. Wisdom is, is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. And so often we get blown away by the circumstances of life, by the problems of life and the difficulties of life. And it just shows us, it just shows us that we're not seeing life and responding to life from God's perspective, that God is for us and not against us. And that's why we need wisdom. Gives wisdom to the simple rejoices the heart. Oh my goodness, there have been times here on a Sunday morning in a small group in my own personal time with the Lord that my heart is so rejoiced you would think that I just won a lottery or something. It's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming when it dawns on me what I have in Jesus and who he is and all that he's done for me. And, and the Holy Spirit begins to personalize it and make it real to my heart. And indeed, God's word is more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. God's word is, is his personal active presence when met with the response of trust. Hebrews 4.12, it's alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we, we, in, in our series, our Thrive series, that we, we did just before we started this series, headed into uh, Luke, we did a series on habits of grace and we spent one whole week just talking about how to study the Bible. I would encourage you to get our DB app, go online and listen to that on how to study the Bible and listen to it and allow God to speak to you through that so you can begin to develop that skill. Now, what is God speaking? So the message is really important. So it's one thing to understand the messenger, how God speaks the messenger, but now what is God speaking the message? Look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest 
and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, Christmas Eve, I did a whole teaching on peace, three ways we lose the peace that God wants to give us, and five ways to find it. I'm not going to get into that. I'll talk a little bit about it here, but I would encourage you to, to go online or our website and listen to it. But here's what he's saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those. In other words, he's saying peace with God. We have peace with God because of the grace of God uh, through the giving of his son Jesus is what he's saying right here. Now, how many would, uh, how many understand that when you talk with someone, maybe a, a relative, close friend, or even in a marriage relationship, you know that what you say isn't not necessarily always what someone else hears. They can hear something completely different from what you're saying. Anybody? Understand that? Agree with that? Yeah. Communication. It's amazing how a husband and wife can talk past each other. And even after, we're going on 40 years in my marriage relationship, and what she says, what Nancy says, means something different to me and then vice versa in, in our interaction with each other. So let me give you an example of what this might, might look like here. So, for instance, you're out driving and lose your way, and she says, let's ask for directions. He hears, you're not a man. <laughs> she says, can I have the remote control? He hears, let's watch something that will bore you beyond belief. <laughs> she says, are you listening to me? He hears, Blah, 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 blah. She says, I've been watching Fixer Upper on HGTV and I like to redecorate. He hears, let's take our money and flush it down the toilet. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. This, this is a joke, okay? You guys, wait, are we cool? Okay, that was a joke. I'll give my wife a chance to come up here sometime in about 10 years but <laughs> to give her side of it. But I've got the mic now. And so, I mean, so there can be a mix-up in communication. Now, this is what I find interesting about the gospel. Most American Christians could not tell you what the gospel is. Most American Christians and most non-Christians would even define it as I'm about to define it. Take a look at your notes. So what is God speaking? Here's the message. We think God is saying, if you try really hard and are a good person, I'll give you the good life you want. Did you know that there's even churches that will teach a form of that right here in, uh, in this city? I've heard it. They'll teach a form of that. Try harder. Do more. Be better. That's not the gospel. It's called moralism. It's called moralism. In fact, let me take it a step further. It's called paganism. How many took Greek mythology in, in high school? Anybody? So you, what do you got to do to the gods? You got to appease the gods. Be good. Take, that way the god will take the heat off. Give the god gifts. And so there's a form of that. And sometimes when I ask people, so why do you serve God? It's almost a form of paganism. I serve God so that he will bless me. No, 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 no. You don't serve God so that you get his blessing. You're already blessed through Jesus Christ. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You understand what you have in him? No, you serve God because of what you already have in him. See, that's the gospel. That's the next point on your notes. But God is saying the greatest revelation of my glory is that you can have peace with me by my grace 
through the work of my son. See, that's the gospel message. That is amazing. I never get tired of the gospel. I never get tired of it. It's overwhelming. It's spectacular. It's amazing. In fact, you should never get over it. If you really understand it, you'll never get over it. You'll go, what? Yes, it's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. It's based on what he's already done for you. You have access into the throne room of God, not based on what you do or don't do, but based on what he has done. That's amazing. That is an amazing gift. And so, so we have access. We, we can know him. We can experience him. That's what he's saying. Glory to God in the highest. Yeah, this is the greatest revelation of the glory of God. Word glory means weight, significance, importance. There's nothing more significant, there's nothing more important than the glory of God demonstrated through the grace of God, his favor in our life, through the giving of his son for you and I. That's amazing. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's what you should be thinking about. That's what you should be reflecting on. That's what you want to know and have driven deep into your heart. Believe me, that will change you. That will transform your life. You won't be the same. When that dawns on you, you begin to understand that. What? I have a relationship with God? Yes. Yes. Now, I gave you some other verses there. So that's verse 14. Romans 5, 1 talks about that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 talk about that. The grace we have. We have his favor. The grace of God through Jesus Christ. But the, the basic human condition and the essence of sin is that we, we, want, we want God's job. We want to play God. That's the essence of sin. And we do that primarily by doubting his goodness. See, it goes all, back, all the way back to the garden, Genesis 3, 4 through 6. We think God's holding out on us. And then we start thinking some crazy thoughts like we're smarter than him. And it's, it's crazy. So, so if the enemy, the enemy first of all works to get you to believe there really isn't a God, okay, so... He tries to work there. And if he can't get you to believe that there's no God, then he'll get you to believe, well, God's not a good God. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. Because wh why, why would he do that? Because you're gonna take life into your own hands. You're not gonna trust God. You're gonna be freaked out and anxious and angry and try to control the circumstances and, and begin to work the situation and, and, and all of that rather than just to trust him and rely on him and look to him and allow him to lead you and to guide you. And, and so we primarily doubt his goodness. And, and what I want to say to people over and over again, if, if only you could see how much God desires your good, if only you could see, if only you could see how much God desires your good. He has your best interest at heart. He's looking after you. He loves you. He can't take his eyes off of you. Do you have any idea what he thinks about you, how he feels about you, what he wants to do in your life? Oh my goodness. The God of the galaxies loves you, adores you. He gave his life for you. He has your best interest at heart. And see, the more you understand that, the more you realize and live in the reality of the Father, heart, of God for you. I mean, let that sink in just for a minute. Do you have any idea the Father heart of God for you? See, if you lived in the reality of the Father heart of God for you, you would obey him in all that he says, whether you agree with him or not, you know, because you know he has your best interest at heart. 
You would accept all that he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not, because you know he has your best interest at heart. And believe me, you would make living for his glory your highest priority, your greatest passion, your greatest pursuit in life, because nothing would satisfy you more than living for his glory. See, the remedy to your deepest wounds We all have wounds in our lives. The remedy to your deepest wounds and the antidote to Satan's most venomous lies is the goodness of God and your being satisfied in him. Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with him. We begin to doubt his goodness. Here's the next point on your notes. To the degree you realize you have peace with God by grace through faith in Christ is to the degree that you will have the peace of God to face anything in life with great joy. That's why I like Luke 2.10. It's really the Christmas story. I take this with me throughout the year. Luke 2.10, yeah, the, the angel came to the shepherds and said, said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So fear not, you won't have fear in your life if you behold, better yet, if the gospel gets a hold of you, good news that brings great joy. Great joy, not mediocre joy, not small joy, great joy, indescribable, indestructible joy. That's what it's talking about there. So, so, so let me ask you this. So why are you stressed up? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so restless? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so depressed? Why are you in such despair? Do you understand you have peace with God? And to the degree you understand and live in the reality of the fact that you have peace with God, you will have the peace of God guard your heart and mind. So the peace of God guarding your heart and mind is called really sanctification. It's beginning to work out the implications of what we already have in the gospel. But the basis of our sanctification, another word for sanctification would be holiness or wholeness, the sense of wholeness, being completely content and compassionate and courageous, the ability to face anything in life. That that sanctification, that, that wholeness, that holiness is based on our justification, that we have peace with God. You have to come back to that. I'm not living in the reality of that, and then as I begin to do that, and it begins to dawn on me all that I have in him, and then I begin to live that out in my life. We fear rejection and failure, but if, but if we were completely lavished with God's love, we would not care what people thought of us. We fear the future and circumstances, but if you knew God's, and I shared this uh, Christmas Eve when life doesn't make sense when God doesn't make sense. Two things you got to hang on to. I, I, in the past, I, I described it as three things, but I kind of narrowed it down to just these two, and really it's, a, it's these two. It's that you need to know that God is sovereign, God is good. And you've and you got to begin to work the, the implications of that out in your life. God is sovereign, yeah, he's in control. I know it looks like it's out of control, but he's in control. The Bible says that. God is sovereign, he's in control. Oh, and he's good. He loves you. He loves you like no one else has ever loved you. This is the love you have been looking for your whole life. Believe me. 
And the more you live in the reality of the fact that he's sovereign and, and he's good, you're not going to freak out over the circumstances of life. Now, there's a certain degree of freaking out that's appropriate, okay? It kind of prepares you for circumstances. But man, when our, when our freak out meter is pegging, you know, when we've got this inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression that's dominating our life, there's something, it's telling us a little bit about how we have misplaced our sense of acceptance and security and significance. And that, that's important. We fear death. But if we knew, as stated in, as Paul states in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain, I mean, we would be unshakable in the storms of life. So peace with God will produce the peace of God in our hearts and peace with others in our lives. So why is there so much fighting going on this way, horizontally, in our relationships? It's because, guess what? Let me tell you the root of that. You're fighting yourself. You're fighting within yourself. Oh, and by the way, the reason why you're fighting within yourself is because you're fighting with God. You were made for God, and your heart will forever be restless until you find your rest in Him. And when you find your rest in Him, you're going to have a peace that guards your heart and mind, and then you're going to be able to offer it in your relationships horizontally. You're going to be a, become a peacemaker. That will be evidence that you're really hearing Him, and you're walking with Him, and you're experiencing Him in your life. Man, let me tell you something. That's a great way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. That's how I want to live. I want to experience that in my own life. So how do we live like that? How we must listen, the listener. Here it is. And, and this text gives us this answer so beautifully, verses 18 through 20. And all who heard it wondered, so they hear the message, good news of great joy. Don't be afraid, fear not, for behold, I give you good news of great joy. So all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but here it is, here's the key. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here's your next fill in the blank. You are what you love, but you might not love what you think. I'm reading a book right now, second time through the book, it's really a good book. It's titled, it's by that title, You Are What You Love. It's a great title. The writer goes on and talks about that the second chapter is actually titled, you are, you are What You Love, But You Might Not Love What You Think. I mean, hey, the right answer, the right answer is always Jesus, okay? And we can all, all give the right answer, but we can say that our, as it says here, the heart, the heart is the core of what we put our ultimate hope, trust, and love in. We can say, we can have a said faith, and we can say that, yes, he is our ultimate hope, trust, and love, but your response to your problems reveals what you are actually really trusting in. So, so how, you, how are you responding to the issues of life? How do you respond to the gospel and the understanding of the gospel? Are you experiencing that indescribable, indestructible joy that the gospel can give to you, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the people in your life, regardless of, of uh, the things in your life, whatever that might be? You are what you love, but you might not love what you think. The heart is the core of what we put our ultimate hope, trust, and love in. Now, okay, here we go. We're, we're heading down to the end of this, to the message here, and, and it's really important that you listen to, to what I'm gonna tell you because this has to do, this is gonna make or break you in how you come to church and how you read your Bible regularly and, and how you gather in your small groups because you'll notice in verse 18, it says that they wondered. These are the people that the shepherds went to. They wondered. The word means to give admiration or to marvel. Notice there's no indication 
of lives being transformed. They just wondered. They just kind of like, whoa, that's wonderful. Oh, nice show. Oh, that's great. Oh, the music was wonderful this morning. Oh, Pastor Ray, whoo, that was a good message. They just kind of wondered, but there's no, no indication of life's being transformed. There's a major difference between being entertained and having an encounter with God. American churches are filled and full of self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to God. I haven't uh, quoted from him for a while. This is from Francis Chan, Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says here. He says this, even our church growth can happen without him, the Holy Spirit. I mean, let's be honest. If you combine a charismatic speaker, a talented worship band, and some hip creative events, people will attend your church. Yet this does not mean that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working and moving in the lives of the people who are coming. It simply means that you have created a space that is appealing enough to draw people in for an hour or two on Sunday. It certainly does not mean that people walk out the doors moved, listen to me, listen to what he says here, that people walk out of the doors moved to worship and in awe of God. People are more likely to describe the quality of the music or the appeal of the sermon than the one who the reason people gather for church in the first place. Why are you here? Why do you come to church? Now, I know it's not because we put on the best show in the city because there's a whole lot better shows out there. I know that. I can't help but think that many of you, if not all of you, come here because this is a place where you encounter God. And let me tell you, it has very little to do with me. It has everything to do with him. I'm a signpost. The band up here, and I hope that when you leave here, you don't say, wow, the music was great. Hey, Pastor Ray was on his game this morning. It ain't about me. Did you hear God? Did you have an encounter with God? The best thing I can give you and help you with is for you to know him. Because if you leave this church and never come back, and you forget about me, you have lost nothing, but you forget about him, you've lost everything. You need to know him. Here's how we, we do this. And, and this is regardless of the, the music. We, we want excellence. We're gonna do the best we can. But, but this is what I wonder. And I look at the, you know, a lot of churches, they, they, go out of, they go out of their way to put on the best show ever. Lights and smoke and do all that. I'm not against any of that if that's what they wanna do. I think that's cool. But, but when you go there, is that really contributing to people encountering God? When was the last time you had an encounter with God? Do you know him, regardless of whether the music's good or bad or what the guy had to say or, or whatever? Here's, here's, I think Mary gives us the solution right here. I think we can learn right here. You must give yourself to God's word intellectually and experientially. You must give yourself to God's word intellectually and experientially. Remember the two words with Mary? Pondering, that's intellectually, and treasuring, that's experientially. Intellectually, 
That's theology. That's objectively. Experientially, that's doxology. That's worship. That's subjective, subjectively. You're experiencing. So your theology needs to become doxology. That's, so, so when you come, regardless of whether you want to critique the music or the teacher or whatever's going on, I think criticism is good. We want to do the best we can. I, I welcome it. I think it's wonderful. But don't miss God. Don't miss him. And it requires of you to ponder and to treasure his word regardless of the style, regardless of what's going on, to ponder and treasure. It's head sound, heart satisfying. The word ponder here means to wrestle intellectually. What does it say? That's observation. What does it mean? That's interpretation. Remember the three steps? Three-step process to Bible study. Observation. What does it say? Interpretation. What does it mean? That's, That's the ponder. The treasure part is the application. How does this apply to my life? She's treasuring it deep in her heart. To keep within oneself lest it be forgotten. That's what that means to treasure. So listen, we give you plenty of resources. You can take notes. You take the notes. There's growing notes. You can work through that. Many of our groups go through the growing notes. But to take this and begin to say, okay, God, what are you speaking to me this morning? What do you want to say? And as you interact with God, you write it down. You take notes. You walk through the growing notes this next week. You begin to meditate, memorize certain verses. You take it with you throughout the day. God begins to speak to you. You go back to the scripture. Make sure this is, this is him speaking. Oh, my goodness. It will change your life as you ponder and treasure his word. It will change your life. You ask the text questions, and then you let the text ask you questions. How would my life be different if I really believed this from the bottom of my heart? I gave you a couple verses here, James 1, through 25. It says, it talks about, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Don't be like the person that goes and looks at himself in the mirror. How many looked in a mirror this morning? Okay, yeah. I did. And I don't always like, to, I don't like what I see. So we got, it's real dark in our bathroom. I'll turn on the lights. No, when we look, he's, he's liking it. When we study God's word, we look in the mirror and he says, don't be like the person that walks away and forgets what he saw. Respond to it. Take it with you. There's another important lesson here in Matthew 7, 24 and 27. He makes a distinction between building your house on the rock or the sand. He says, the person that builds his house on the rock is the one that hears my words and obeys them. He applies them to his life, has truly an interaction with me, knows me, walks with me, experiences me, versus the person who builds his life upon the sand who hears my word but doesn't apply to his life. And it, and it says, when the storms rage, it doesn't say if the storms rage, but when they rage, which home, which life is still standing? The one that's built on the rock, the one that interacts with God, the one that knows God, the, that not just hears God's word, but, but responds and lives it and experiences God in his life. And the one who heard but didn't apply it to their life is devastated. I see a lot of Christians devastated because they attend church regularly, but they're not pondering and treasuring God's word. And they're not building their life upon the rock of God's word. If you treasure the word of the Lord, you will eventually see by faith the Lord of the word, and it will fill you with wonder, love, and praise. Verse 20, 
of our text. It was our last verse. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let me ask you this question. Do you think these shepherds cared whether people believed them or disdained them or not? No, they had an encounter with God. Let me ask you another question. How was Mary able to face the cultural shame of being an unwed mother? How do you and I overcome the trauma, the trials, the temptations of life? We do it by filling our heart with the beauty and the value of what we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend just a few moments listening to God here at the end of the service. I I want you to just, we're going to take a moment, just some silence and solitude, but, but let me just tell you a little bit about where we're headed next week. You will become what you are committed to in 2017. That's a fact. And so next weekend, we're going to continue through the study of uh, Luke, and I'm going to teach you how to be more resolved, how to be more resolved in 2017. That's what we're going to talk about. But would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a moment. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you some pretty serious questions here as it relates to where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a confession of faith. I would, I would encourage you, just acknowledge your sin, believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Confess him as Savior and Lord by prayer through faith. Put your faith in Jesus. Say, man, I, I want him in my life. I'm gonna follow him. I realize it's by grace through faith in Jesus and give him your life. So let me ask you these questions. How real has God been to your heart this week? How real has God been to your heart this week? How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? Have there been times where you just felt like he's sweeped you up into his arms and lavished his love on you? To what degree is is that real to you right now? Are you having any particular seasons of delight in God? Do you really sense his presence in your life? Sense him giving you his love? Have you been finding scripture to be alive and active? Instead of just being a book, do you feel like scripture is coming after you? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Which ones? Are you finding God challenging you or calling you to something through the word? In what ways? Are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? Are you conscious of a a growing sense of the evil of your heart or in your heart and in response a growing dependence on and a grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God? So, Father God, may your Son, our Savior, Jesus, become more beautiful to our imagination and more attractive to our hearts than anything else in our lives. As we study through the Gospel of Luke this new year, may it bring Christ into our lives as a living, loving, and leading presence 
May our time with you corporately in our small groups and individually not be a ritual or a routine, but an experience of loving communion with you. May we be more attentive to your voice. May we hear deep in our heart more than ever that the only eyes in the universe that count love us, adore us, gave his life for us, filling us with a love and a joy and a peace unlike we have ever experienced before. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name and everyone said, amen. Love you guys.